Father, we thank you for this opportunity again to come into your presence. Lord, pray for our women at retreat this morning. I pray, Father, you would give them a blessed time in your word and in worship uh, in their service up in Big Bear today. Father, as well, that you watch over them, protect them as they uh, make their way back down from the mountain. Lord, a great time uh, with you and with each other. And Lord, that's the uh, same prayer for us here today. Lord, would you speak to us through your word? May the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. This time to you now. In the name of Amen. Okay. Okay, let's see if this one works. <laughs> Must be an important message today. Someone's trying to stop it. <laughs> so, um, welcome. Welcome, fellow bachelors, those of you that have no wives, to this weekend. Yeah, you notice I, I got myself dressed. It was always interesting. <laughs> I get myself dressed every week. <laughs> I'm out of the house long before she wakes up. But uh, yeah, it, it was always interesting on women's retreat weekend, the way kids would show up at church. You know, I, I can only speak for myself. On that Sunday, the kids got to dress themselves. They got to do their own hair, they got, which meant they didn't really do much of anything. And so, you know, these, these little waifs would show up. You know, those are the pastor's kids. Anyway, uh, <laughs> There's a show, I, I don't know if it's still on or not, I really didn't watch it that much, but I know about it. There's a TV show, or has been a television show, called uh, The Undercover Boss. Some of you have probably seen Undercover Boss, and I watched a few episodes because uh, I was going to talk about it, just to kind of get a sense of what the show was about. Basically, the, the, usually the CEO or some high-up person in a company would put on a, a costume or a mask, they would disguise themselves, and then they would go to work in one of the grunt jobs in the company. You could try that, uh, Richard. Try that at, at Rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you could disguise yourself well enough that none of your guys would know who you are. <laughs> Mr. Giant here. <laughs> anyway, uh, hi, I'm Steve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure you are. And, and one of the things, some interesting things would happen on this particular show. One of the things that quite often would happen is you discover that the CEO often doesn't know how to do the grunt work. And so in particular, you would see uh, like the, the head of the corporation for a fast food chain uh, doesn't know how to take orders or keep them straight or can't cook hamburgers. You know, and so you, you laugh at them struggling. But more often than not, what was happening was the guy would come in and he would talk to various employees. And the, the cringe factor is when those employees are talking about how awful the company is or the way that CEO doesn't know what he's doing and, you know, doesn't realize who he's talking to. And then they would have the reveal and they would find out, you know, that that's, that's the boss. I, I sometimes think that if we are following what Christ tells us to do in his words, we're not going to get caught up into something like that. You know, if we, if we model our, our employment, like, for instance, how Paul told the Colossians, he said that when you work, whatever you do, work heartily, look at this, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
And hopefully as Christians, that would clear up any of those uncomfortable uh, situations because what I'm doing, I'm not serving my boss. I am serving the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Hopefully that is our attitude as we go into employment. Well, speaking of an undercover boss, there is no undercover boss that, is, uh, that, that comes close to the one whom we are going to see today. And the one is a capital, Z, uh, capital O. As Christ, the undercover boss, you could say, arrives back in Capernaum this morning, we are going to recognize who is truly in charge as we continue in the series of Matthew that I call uh, His Kingdom Come. And we're going through the book of Matthew, uh, passage by passage, verse by verse, sometimes word by word. If you have your Bibles, turn in the book of Matthew to chapter 9 as we continue from where we left off last week. And I would encourage you to take notes this morning. We have cards that were provided for you. Note cards are available. If you didn't get one of those this morning here in the room, then you can put your hand up. We'll get one to you. On the back of that card are a series of questions that you can use to sort of debrief on the message. They'll also be used in our life groups throughout the week. And if you're joining with us online, uh, you can uh, uh, access all of that material on the church app. So make sure you download uh, the church app to get that. As we saw last spring, when we went through the portion of Matthew that uh, comprises the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus finished with it, the people recognized how much authority he had spoken with. And in fact, they even said in, at the end of his sermon, Matthew 7, 28, they said when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And well, what we've been seeing now as we have been going through chapter 8, believe it or not, it's just been one chapter <laughs> this, this entire fall season, and ever since then, he has been showing them that his authority is more than words. Kind of like the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians in uh, 1 Corinthians 4.20, he said, but the, the power of God is not just in words, although they are powerful words, but they are also in demonstrations of power. And so Jesus has been demonstrating, backing up the words that he've said with a very clear demonstrations of his power, which are pointing to something that we're going to see today. He demonstrated his authority over sickness as he healed a leper, as he healed Peter's mother-in-law with a, with a fever, as he healed a paralytic. He demonstrated his authority over nature as when they were caught in this storm with just his words, he calmed the winds and the sea. He demonstrated his authority even over, as we saw last week, the supernatural world as he has authority over demons. Well, today, we're going to see him really up the ante. He is going to claim this morning the ultimate authority. If you have your Bibles, turn or open to verse 1 of chapter 9 in Matthew. And getting into a boat... Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. Now, last week, we saw he and his disciples arrive after the storm. They arrived in the area of the Gadarenes. And the disciples probably thought at that point, okay, we know what's happening here. We're going to probably go to the city of Gadara, and then we're going to go to the 10 cities of the Decapolis or the other of the 10 cities in the Decapolis. Decapolis means 10 cities. Okay, so we're probably going to do ministry around this area. But if, if you were here, you realize that after healing that demon-possessed man, 
What did the people in the city say to him? They, they didn't just say it. They begged him. They begged him to leave their area. He had uh, uh, disrupted their economic system. And so what did Jesus do? He does what he still does today. He gave them what they wanted. You don't want Jesus, then he'll leave. He won't be there. And so they get back into their boat, as we see here in, chapter, in verse 1. And he says he came to his own city. Now, Mark and Luke both talk about this same situation. And, it wasn't, and, and Mark tells us that that city is Capernaum. And it wasn't long before the people there in Capernaum found out that he was back. He had left Capernaum not too long before. Look at verse 2. Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. No doubt these people had witnessed the many miracles that Jesus had done there in their midst before leaving uh, for the Gadarenes. Mark and Luke also write about this incident. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to keep your finger here in, Mark, or in Matthew and turn to the book of Mark chapter, uh, chapter 2. Because what Mark does is he gives a few more details than Matthew. Matthew is sort of like, when I was a kid, there was a show called Dragnet. And you had Sergeant Friday. And, and when he would take statements from witnesses, they would start talking about all kinds of stuff. And he'd say, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. And that's kind of what Matthew does. He just gives us the facts. When we see Mark's description of what happened, it's a bit more dramatic than just the fact of they brought to him a paralytic. So much more dramatic that I, I like reading this. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. I remember as a kid going to Coach Logan's house for club, and I think I was probably in club during the, the, the golden era of club. There were nights at Coach's house that the place was so full that we opened the windows so that people could stand outside and look in the window and be a part. In fact, eventually we had to move out of his house into a, a larger facility, but that's what Jesus has going on here. Now it says, they came. And they, being these guys, bring in their paralytic friend. They came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, this is interesting. What would you do? What would I do? Oh, well, I guess I missed out. I guess we'll have to. No, these guys did something pretty dramatic. They removed the roof above Jesus. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed upon which the paralytic lay. That's a few more details, and it makes a much more dramatic experience than they brought to him a paralytic. And, and I can imagine when this happens, this meeting probably comes to a screeching halt as these guys are up. I don't know about you. I don't ever think if I can't get into Coach's house, I don't know what he would have thought if he'd heard me digging the, through the roof up above him. I mean, that, that doesn't even enter my mind, but it does for these guys. And here they lower this guy. I can only imagine how that must have impacted the meeting, you know, right there in front of Jesus. Talk about determination. What a demonstration of faith. 
And it strikes me that when I see what these guys are doing, I would hope that I would have that much creativity, that much perseverance when I am bringing those people in my world to Jesus Christ, as I am praying for them, as we do on our cards, as I list out these people that I work with and that I live in my neighborhood and that I hang out with regularly, these people that I am praying for, looking for those opportunities to impact them for the gospel and for the, for the cause of Christ. Jesus told uh, Matthew back, uh, or I'm sorry, told Peter when he called him, uh, you follow me, Peter, and you will be a fisher of men, which is a good thing to say to Peter. He was a fisherman by trade. What does it take to be a fisherman, a good fisherman? That's why I'm not a fisherman. It takes patience and it takes perseverance. You just sometimes have to sit there and you have to wait and you have to be creative and you have to think about what are the fish biting on it. I'm I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about. I have no idea what it takes to be a good fisherman, but it it takes patience and it takes perseverance. And seeing all of their efforts helps to give us a, a, a context for what Jesus says next. And he says it in all the accounts. So let's go back to Matthew. Verse two continues. And when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, many people in those days, they thought that sin and sickness were were connected. In fact, honestly, a lot of people still do. There are still people that think that if, if you're sick or if you're experiencing difficulties, you must have done something and got God mad at you, and, and that's why this is happening to you. If you do a lot of good things, then you're, you will be rewarded with good health and, and with good finances and prosperity. On the other hand, if you sin, then you're going to be punished with sickness and with poverty. Well, guys, Jesus rejected this kind of thinking. In fact, in John, 1, John 9, verse 1, it says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There's, there's an example of how that's their mindset. If, if you have something wrong with you, you must have done something to deserve that. What does Jesus say? It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I would be quick to add that there is sometimes pain and suffering as consequences for our bad behavior. Uh, Paul told the Galatians that God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. If you wonder, why do I keep getting these speeding tickets? <laughs> it's because you're speeding, okay? I mean, it, 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 there are consequences for bad behavior. Or maybe you're being disciplined by God. Proverbs 3.12 tells us that God disciplines those that he loves, just like good parents do. We don't discipline our children because we like to beat on them in spite of what they may think. We discipline them because we love them. We want to improve them. We want them to, to behave But in this case, it would seem that this man is the way he is so that the works of God can be displayed in him. At the very least, I I have something, it's displayed so that I have something to preach this morning, right? So there's a reason for what's going on here. Now, whose faith, when Jesus said, it says here that he saw their faith, whose faith did he see? He saw the faith of these men, Mark tells us, these four men who brought this guy in. And obviously, as we know now, they put a lot of effort 
to get him in there. And if they didn't have faith that Jesus would, could do something, and in fact would do something, then why would they have gone to all the trouble? So obviously these guys are demonstrating a tremendous amount of faith. Now think about it, this guy. This guy is paralyzed. Here is a guy that can't go anywhere. Here's a guy that can't do anything without the help of his friends, without people helping him. Maybe even his faith is, is going to have to be bolstered by these guys. I know what that's like, and you probably do as well. We go through those, those difficult times, those tough times, when, when I just, I'm, I'm struggling, but quite often my friends are not struggling, and that's when they stay, step in and they build up my faith. It's one of the reasons we have the different ministries we have. The women are at retreat this morning for that reason. They are encouraging one another. They are building one another up. I guarantee you that all of the women that are up at retreat this morning, they're not all on a spiritual high. There are some of them that are not quite so high. Same with our men's ministry. Same with our small groups. Ephesians, uh, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Two men will do twice the work of one. But also, if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another one to lift him up. I haven't been feeling good the second half of this week. And I, my, my life group found out when I wasn't there. <laughs> And I can't tell you how many times, even this morning, two or three times, I've had people coming up to me and saying, how are you doing, Pastor? I've been praying for you. Are you okay today? That's, that is encouraging, guys. That, that builds my faith. I know that I'm not in this alone. And I hope you aren't as well. I hope it's not just gathering together for you on Sunday morning with, with a couple of hundred other people. I hope you have a small group, a small group of people that you can get intimate with, that you can be encouraged by, that know your name, that know the struggles that you're going through. Jesus tells him to take heart. The, the word there in the Greek is thrasao, and it means to take courage, to cheer up. And why is he telling him to cheer up? Well, what does he say? <laughs> Your sins are forgiven. <laughs> now, here's, I'm going to be completely honest. If I had gone to all the work of these guys to get this guy in front of Jesus, and, and he lets him down, and the guy is totally paralyzed, and it's obvious what he needs, I wonder what I would think <laughs> if I hear Jesus say, Your sins are forgiven. I, I'll be honest, I, part of me would say, uh, I didn't go through all this in order to get his sins forgiven. I mean, he is here for a healing. We want to see some miracles, Jesus. Come on, that's, that's just me? I, I, I don't know. But, and so Jesus was healing him. That's the whole point here. And in fact, what he's doing by saying your sins are forgiven, he is healing this man's worst handicap because it wasn't his physical sickness that was the issue with this guy. It was his spiritual sickness. And guess what, folks? He's not unique. That is true for every one of us. When Jesus told this man, when Jesus tells all of us that through him our sins can be forgiven, what does he mean by that? It means, the, the, literally, it means that you can leave, you can let it go. Uh, the, the word that's used for forgiven was a word that they used it for a divorce, you know, when you separate. It means to settle a debt. It means to pardon from a crime. 
The theological word when Jesus heals us of, of our sin is that we are justified. And what that word means is even more dramatic. It's as if in God's eyes we have never sinned. In fact, the way to remember that is it's just if I'd never sinned, okay? And that's what he offers to us. The law and justice are satisfied because Jesus paid the penalty. He paid the wages for our sin because scripture tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages, the payment, the penalty for that is death. But Jesus paid that penalty on our behalf. He went to the cross. He died not for his sins, but for ours because he didn't sin. And if Jesus had forgiven this man's sin and done nothing more for them, then the paralyzed man should have been satisfied. But if Jesus had, uh, consequently, what the guy was there for, if he had just healed his body, then this guy would be far worse off than he was when he got there. And guys, there are many people today probably even here in this room, that are paralyzed by sin. In fact, all of us at one point or another, as I just shared, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have been in that place where we are paralyzed by sin. And like these four guys, we need to be bringing those people in our worlds to Jesus Christ so that he can deal with their real needs. But of course, here in this room, there were critics as well. And now Jesus is going to give them a reason behind his claim. Look at verse 3. It says, behold, which means listen up, okay? Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. Jesus had apparently become so popular that these religious leaders are now in the crowd, probably to check him out, probably to uh, make sure of, of what's going on here. He's drawing crowds. He's getting a following. The scribes were the teachers of the law. They were the, they, they were the lawyers even in that society. And boy, do they get an earful. As far as they're concerned, they are hearing blasphemy. And what exactly is blasphemy? Well, blasphemy is claiming to be God or claiming to be able to do something that only God can do. Well, these guys know their stuff. And guess what, guys? They're right. That is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And for any man, as they've said here, for any man to claim to do so, that is clearly blasphemy. But calling Jesus' words blasphemy is where they're wrong. Because they didn't realize, or I, I suspect they wouldn't realize that Jesus is God and that he has God's power and God's authority. Think of it this way. In order to truly forgive someone, only the one who has been sinned against can be the one that forgives. I can't say, uh, uh, you know, oh, uh, you, you offended Charlie. Well, that's okay. Uh, Charlie forgives you. If I haven't discussed it with Charlie. Okay, that's Charlie's right to forgive. Who have we sinned against? We've sinned against God. And only God has the right and the power to forgive that sin. And that's the position that Jesus is taking. 
One of my favorite books is a book entitled Mere Christianity, written by C.S. Lewis uh, many, many years ago. And C.S. Lewis, a a 20th century uh, theologian, he puts it this way when he talks about these uh, situations. He says, Jesus told people that their sins were forgiven. This makes sense only if he really was the God whose laws are broken and whose love is wounded in every sin. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. Quote, you ever heard this? I'm ready to accept God, to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. You ever heard anybody say that? I have. Oh yeah, Jesus. In fact, I've had uh, people say he may have been even the the greatest teacher of all time. Well, (laughs) Lewis goes on. That is one thing we must not say, because a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let's not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Guys, this is the first time the scribes are recorded as opposing Jesus. And even this time, they don't do it openly. When they oppose him openly, they lost every time. They they could not hold up in a debate with Jesus. But that doesn't stop Jesus from confronting them this time. Look at verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is it easier to say, Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? (laughs) And I can imagine another long pause here. (laughs) You don't want to get into a debate with Jesus, right? And so there is probably a deafening silence going on right now. Why? Because they're not going to answer his question. Based on what they had been hearing and what they had been seeing from Jesus and what they had been hearing about Jesus, they must have expected that this guy was going to be healed. I mean, it was common knowledge by this time that Jesus was going about and he was healing people. So the fact that there hasn't been a healing yet, you know, becomes something of concern. And so he asked this question that they must have been asking themselves, which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? In both cases, if you think about it, Jesus is doing the impossible, impossible at least for anyone spiritually and physically, of course, anyone other than God himself. So what should they conclude? Well, they should conclude the obvious, that Jesus is God. That's why I say that these guys wouldn't realize who Jesus is. And frankly, that's the situation with most people today. The the way is broad that leads to destruction. The way is narrow that leads to life. what, What do people always say? I've often said this. Well, that's easy for you to say. Well, that's certainly true in these in this case. It would be easy to say any one either one of these statements. But the first one, if you really think about it in the physical sense, your sins are forgiven. Well, That's kind of an easier one to say. Why? Because how are you going to prove that false? 
You can't see someone's sins are forgiven. It's not like a, a movie where you go from black and white to color. It's not like they elevate off the ground or, or something. You know, unless you can't see someone's sins forgiven, unless Jesus attaches it to the second statement, the visible statement. And Jesus did. Rise and walk. So now, if he doesn't walk, it's going to disprove everything. And here's the thing, guys. In actuality, forgiving sins is much harder. Why is that? Because it required Jesus to sacrifice his life. You see, to physically heal a paralyzed man, all that required was for Jesus to say the word. We know that. We've seen that in Matthew. We're going to see it a lot more. All he has to do is say it, and it happens. But to forgive him, Jesus had to die. Now, if they had answered, the obvious answer is both. And Jesus knew that, and they knew that. They knew that both of these things are easy for God. So what does Jesus do? He pulls off the mask. He is the undercover boss. And now we get the great reveal as Jesus demonstrates just who is in charge. Verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he says to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And boy, does he ever pull the mask off. He uses his, first off, you notice he uses his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man. And the people in that room, the Jews in that room, they knew what that title meant. That is the name uh, from the Old Testament uh, uh, book of Daniel for the Messiah. In fact, here it is, Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And did you see how Matthew records this situation? Jesus doesn't even complete his sentence. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I, I kind of think of this as like magicians do their acts. I will now wave my hand and then miraculously this guy is going to... No, he doesn't do any of that. He just... So that he's going uh, to be able to forgive sins. Boom. Goes right to get up and walk. I have authority on earth to forgive sins. Go ahead and walk. And as he's saying here, words are cheap. Anybody can say anything, and people do say anything. Essentially, what Jesus is saying here by his actions is let the miracle speak for itself. Let the miracle demonstrate just who I am. Pick up your bed and go home. <laughs> and again, Matthew in his just the facts, ma'am, uh, sort of uh, way of writing, verse 7 says, simply, and he rose and went home. Okay, short, simple, but man so profound. This former paralytic is physically walking home, but realize as well, this former paralyzed spirit is also walking. Medical science today is truly amazing. In fact, you realize many of the illnesses and, and maladies that we see in Scripture have been cured by modern medicine. 
Some say that, that eventually uh, it's going to be common for people to live well past 100. I, I don't mind living well past 100. I like to be in better shape than I am sometimes, but we'll see. But when Matthew here says that Jesus healed the paralytic, he's not so much talking about this man's physical condition because Jesus did hear what only he can do. He healed his spiritual paralysis. Last week, the Gadarenes, they saw Jesus' miracle and they begged him to leave. They wanted nothing to do with all that he offered them. Fortunately, we see a different reaction today. Look at verse 8. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. When it says here that they were afraid, it means that there's a, a combination in that word of true, stark terror, <laughs> But there's also the sense of reverence. And they go on and glorify God. Why? Because of what they had seen. This shows us that Jesus really, really knew what he was doing. He was able to do things in such a way that when people saw him work, they would give glory to God. And that was exactly his purpose here on earth. In John 6, 38, he says, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. In his Sermon on the Mount, he then tells each of us to do the same. Matthew 5, 16, he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, those people in your world, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I read about a man who loved this woman so much that he began writing letters to her and apparently wrote over 700 lengthy letters to her in the course of a year. And in 60 or 70 of those letters, he is proposing marriage to her. And they worked. The woman got married to the mailman. And I think about that sometimes, and I think, you know, isn't that just like us? God's, God loves us. God sends us good gifts. But we often glorify the messenger. We glorify the preacher or the teacher instead of the one that he's speaking for. People, if you're truly used by the Lord, others will have a tendency to exalt you or, consequently, to rail upon you. Have you heard the, uh, any of the statements made by the new um, uh, um, uh, House Speaker, Mike Johnson? Uh, I don't know if you've heard this guy, but uh, he's apparently an evangelical Christian. I heard him speaking on the floor of the house, and I was floored. <laughs> this guy sounds like a preacher. And he's talking about, you know, the power of God in his life and, and talking about, in fact, he was interviewed and uh, they asked him, how do we know, uh, you know, where you're going to be coming from? What's your philosophy of life? Here was his answer. The best way to know my views is to read the Bible. So what do you think people said about him? This guy's an extremist. This guy is a bigot. This guy is, you know, I mean, they, 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 he's, he's a member of a hate group. I mean, he is going to be, he's being raked over the coals, so we need to be in prayer for this guy, a very different kind of politician. I never heard of this guy before, but uh, uh, so far I'm kind of liking what I'm hearing. Our goal, guys, should be to do what Jesus did. I like his answer because he says, you know, you want to know who, what I'm all about? Read the Bible. 
What's he doing? He's, he's deflecting. He's saying, go to the Lord. I, that's what I'm all about. I'm all about him. I want to be like Jesus, and that should be our goal, to do what Jesus has done. To, and, and then after we do what we do, turn the attention and the glory back to the Father. I know sometimes people will say to me, so especially after messages where they've been particularly um, convicted of something, and, and it's not unusual for somebody to say, so pastor, what you're saying is, and I often will stop them at that point and I'll say, well, first off, it's not what I'm saying, it's the word of God. <laughs> not that I don't inject myself now and then, but usually I have to apologize for those parts. It's the word of God that has the power. That's what we ought to be preaching. That's what we ought to be listening to. That's what we ought to be sharing with our friends and neighbors and those in our world. Guys, by all means, let's make sure that Jesus doesn't continue, if he is, to be the undercover boss in our lives and in our worlds. Let's do as Jesus has called us to do, to shine our lights on him in our worlds so that the people in our worlds will glorify our Father who is in heaven. Amen? Ain't that the way to go? Let me give you a couple of takeaways. The first one I have here is taken out of verse two. When Jesus says to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. I look at that and I ask myself, when Jesus looks at me, oh, paralyzed Willie, when he looks at me, what does he say to me? Do I even hear him? What's he saying to you this morning? How is he encouraging you? Is he, is he telling you to take heart, to be of good cheer, to be encouraged, even though maybe, you know, I, I dare say I'm not paralyzed. I, I can get myself around. So I, in, in a physical sense, I'm not that bad off. But there are quite often times when I think I just can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't make it. I can't. And then what does Jesus say to me? What's he saying to you in those times? The second question I have of this, as we see the scribes here talking to themselves and thinking about, you know, the, their, their reactions to Jesus, what kind of thoughts do I have? They're often a lot more dramatic than what I'm willing to say out of my mouth or tell to somebody else. You know, what, what are the thoughts that are going through my mind when I hear, Jesus, you want what? You're expecting what? So what are those thoughts that you're having? And then in the end, of course, we see in verse 8 that the crowds were afraid and they glorified God. The question, of course, is how do I respond to Jesus' actions, not only in his word today, but how do I respond, more, more importantly, to Jesus' actions in my life? What's going to be different about me for having been in God's presence, in the presence of his word this morning? Hopefully, that's how we come to church we don't come to, you know, I like to think and I have to remind myself, even as a pastor, I have to remind myself, I don't just go to church in order to put in my time to, to sit there and say, yeah, I sat through a 45-minute message and I listened to everything and I looked up all this. No, I, I come here with the anticipation that God is speaking to me and he wants to change something in my life. Unless somehow I think that there's nothing that needs to be changed, and that ain't the case, okay? And so there's something he's going to change in my life. How do I respond to what he shared with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word to us today. And Lord, may we hear your voice. May we, even in our secret thoughts, Lord, may we still revere you. May we still lift you up. And Lord, may our attitudes coming here and every time we hear from you, every time we are in your word, Lord, what would you have me do with this? 
so that, Father, I can shine my light before those people in my world so that they would give glory to you. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to be used by you in this way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.